I think people are intimidated by the larger properties, but they really shouldn't be because the bigger you go, the more flexibility there is in how you can finance it. There's a lot more opportunity that opens up to you. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. With us today, Brian Murray. How you doing, Brian? Good. Glad to be here, Joe. Very right. excited. Hey, I'm nice to I, I I'm nice to have you on the show. What what does that mean? <laughs> it's nice to have you on the show, and I will be nice too. His company he that he founded in 2007 has over 40 million dollars worth of assets. He has grown the company into a large portfolio of office, medical, retail, restaurant parking, storage, and apartment communities. Holy cow. So many different types of assets. He is the founder and CEO of Washington Street Properties. That's the company that owns these things. In 2015, he was presented with the Gold Stevie Award in the Executive of the Year real estate category. And he's based in Watertown, New York, which, according to him, is pretty darn close to Canada, in case you're wanting the visualization. With that being said, Brian, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Like you said, I started back in 2007. I took a little bit of a non-traditional path, I guess you'd say. I was working in the corporate sector and was looking for a little bit better work-life balance and decided to start teaching. But unfortunately, I had a little trouble paying the bills and making ends meet as a teacher. And I'd always been interested in real estate. So I decided to jump in and start investing. And what I did that I think is a little atypical is my first ever investment property was a 50,000 square foot office building. Mm. First ever. Yeah, that jumped in with both feet and certainly learned a lot and was able to add a lot of value to that property and refinance and grow the portfolio and just kept going. 
Is that how you're growing your portfolios by adding value, refinancing, taking those proceeds and putting into another property? Very much so. I'm a buy and hold investor. I'm very much focused on value add. I do a lot of creative financing, but I'm pretty focused in on finding those properties where I can step in, add value, refinance, and then keep adding to the portfolio, keep growing that income stream. And it's been a formula that's worked pretty well for me. 2007 was right before something pretty major happened in our economy in 2008. You started this in 2007. When did you buy that 50,000 square foot office building? It was in 2007, and I actually assumed the seller's lease. I was not able to get secure financing on my own. I, I assumed the seller's lease. I negotiated some credits into the sale, was able to secure the property with not that much cash out of pocket. And my second property, I used seller financing. And I did keep trying to borrow. I did keep trying to work with the banks, but I had to be a little creative early on. It became easier as my portfolio grew and as the lending environment loosened up. But I found ways to buy even when I couldn't work with a bank. Walk us through that first property where you said you assumed the seller's lease. And I know I'm being dense right now, but what do you mean you assumed their lease if they were the owners of the property? What lease was there to assume? I'm sorry. I assumed their mortgage. Oh, you assume their mortgage. Okay. Sorry, I misspoke. Yep. I understand now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I purchased that property for $836,000. It was in pretty bad distress. It was less than half occupied, was not well maintained, but it was very well located. And I stepped in, took over, took good care of it right from the get-go. I assumed the seller's mortgage and they owed, I think it was about $730,000 on the property at the time. I also negotiated to get some credits for deferred maintenance and worked out a pretty good deal where I was able to step in with a fairly minimal amount of cash out of pocket. There was a full-time superintendent at the time. I took over his responsibilities myself and was able to cut costs pretty quickly, but at the same time, take better care of the property and started to fill it up little at a time and worked out very well for me. How much did you buy it for? $836,000. 836. They owed 730. You assumed it. So in theory, there's about 136K there. And you said you had credit. So how'd that work? One of the things I negotiated was to get credit at closing equal to the value of their reserve replacement account. And actually, they had a, a couple of other reserve accounts with the bank that I was able to negotiate credits at closing in that amount. The other thing that happened is during the course of the due diligence that I did on the property is I began to discover some different things that didn't match up with what I was presented when I first put the property under contract. And normally, I don't like to renegotiate. I'm pretty strict about that. But in a case where I've been misled or information was fictitious, then you know I'm going to step in and negotiate. So I was able to do that in this case and get credits for things that I discovered during that phase. And it all worked to help keep that initial amount of cash in fairly limited. What were the specific things that you can remember that you were misled or were not correct at all? 
Well, one of the things that was wrong with the rent roll, there were tenants on the rent roll that just plain didn't exist. Um, <laughs> there were spaces that the rent roll, you know, had indicated were occupied that when I went and, and actually physically toured the property, I realized they were actually vacant. It really all started to come to light when I went through the individual leases, matched those leases up with the rent roll, and physically walked through the property to actually inspect each of the spaces in person. And the discrepancies started to pop up one after the other. And, of course, after you find a few of them, you look with an even closer eye. So in the end, while it it was a little upsetting to find those things, because I was able to renegotiate the deal, it ended up working in my favor. Mm. 50,000 square feet for perhaps any listeners who have a hard time visualizing what 50,000 square feet is. Can you maybe mention how many office buildings there are or I mean, how many subway restaurants that would be or just help us get an idea of how big that is? Sure. There were three stories to this office building. There was actually what they called an annex, which, is a, which was a separate building out back, but about three quarters of the square footage was in the main building. In terms of how many subways, you know, that's that's, that's, that's <laughs> probably know, a good. Uh, you don't have to use yeah, that that's pro- it's, that's probably maybe fifteen subways, something to that effect. I think we at the time there were maybe fifteen or sixteen tenants in the range of the size of their offices was anything from one small little office space to somebody that had maybe six or seven offices. Out of the 50,000, what is the square footage roughly of the largest space, and was that occupied? The largest space was probably about 10,000 square feet, and yes, that was occupied. But one of the things I loved about the property and that I recommend to small investors is to try to find those properties that have a diverse income stream that you're not going to get absolutely killed if you lose a tenant. So if you can spread that income out over as many tenants as possible, you're managing your risk and your downside. And that's one of the things I really love about apartments as well. Is you tend to have that well-diversified income stream, whereas if you lose a tenant or you lose two tenants, you can still pay your mortgage, still pay your bills. And on the commercial side, I love those properties that have a, a lot of different tenants spread out. You don't have too many eggs in one basket. When you took over, there was a superintendent. You said no thank you to his services, and you assume the responsibilities of the superintendent. What, in theory, was he doing as a superintendent? Well, if you have a property that size, you can keep up to a full-time person busy and if they're doing a good job. you know. And what that person would do is come in early, open up, prep the space, and then what does that mean? That means unlocking the doors, turning the lights on, checking the bathrooms doing a walkthrough, and then just general maintenance in terms of landscaping, cleaning. There's enough to keep somebody busy. In this particular case, when I dug into it and I did my due diligence, I found that this guy really wasn't doing a whole lot. In the annex building that I mentioned earlier, he had set up a wood shop, and he was actually doing work (laughs) on the side during the workday himself to make extra money. Mm -hmm. The owners were from outside of the area, weren't keeping an eye on it, The place looked terrible. There was trash all over in the front yard. There was no landscaping to speak of. It had really been let go. There was no controls being exercised in terms of the heat and heating and the cooling. He literally would crank the air conditioner on high 24-7, and if the tenants were too cold, 
they had to open their windows and let some warm air in. Oh. <laughs> in the fall, he would do the same thing with the boiler. He would crank it all the way on to high, and if it wasn't quite cold enough to be comfortable, all the tenants had to open their windows and let the cold air in to adjust the temperature. And you heard that from the tenants, I imagine. I observed it because we had the property under contract for almost six months. Oh. And I could see what was going on, and I did talk to the tenants. And on my first day of ownership, I asked him how to control the thermostat, and he said, there's no way to adjust it. It's locked. And I said, you can't tell me how to control the temperature? And he's like, no, I don't know how. So that was his first and last day in my ownership. And I simply called the thermostat manufacturer. They walked me through how to unlock the thermostat. When we closed, it was summer, so I was able to program it. So it turned down at night, turned down on weekends. And by keeping a close eye on that, I actually cut the utility bills in half in the first year. So by cutting the salary of a superintendent, by cutting my energy bills in half, Right out of the gate, the building turned cash flow positive, and I was able to reinvest the money that was throwing off back into the property. And that's another thing that I've stayed true to to this day is I always plow the vast majority of the money back into my properties and keep reinvesting back in, and that's part of how you build value. Mm. You said that was the first and last day for that individual, and then you said you took over responsibility. So does that mean that you were coming in early doing walkthroughs, cleaning the bathrooms, doing the landscaping, doing maintenance, and overseeing all those things? I was. I was teaching at the time, and I would come in at sunrise and sometimes earlier. I would do my walkthroughs, open everything up. I'd work until about 8 o'clock in the morning. I'd go off and do my teaching job. Sometimes I'd come back during my lunch break, and then I'd come back after school got out, after I taught my last classes. And I'd work on weekends, and a teacher's schedule is actually fairly forgiving as well. I got a lot of days off. I got the summers off, so I spent all my time at the property, and I was able to do most of it myself. What I couldn't do myself, I contracted out. Did you clean the bathrooms? I cleaned my share of bathrooms. I did end up getting a cleaning contractor, but I'm definitely not afraid to get my hands dirty and did it myself for a while. How long's a while? I didn't have any real contractors to speak of in that first year because the cash flow didn't allow it. So after about a year and a half, I had my first employee. But prior to that, I used contractors to help me with anything that I couldn't do myself. Mm -hmm. What's it worth now? You bought it for 836000 Property is probably worth about $3 million right now. Well, how is the occupancy? It's full. Congratulations on that. And what team do you now have in place at that property? How do you have it staffed? Well, our model has changed as we've grown. We've got more than 30 properties within a 30-minute drive. And that first property is where my headquarters office is now. We've got 16 employees who take care of apartment complexes and office buildings. And every time we get one more, it's more efficient. We don't have anybody that's dedicated to that property. We've got a team of people who respond as necessary when calls come in. You mentioned earlier that you're a fan and savvy with creative financing, and you have employed that clearly in this first example. What's another example of how you've financed something creatively? Well, each deal is a little bit different. I have done a handful of deals with less than 5% cash in, and I'm just wrapping up one that I'm putting no cash in, 
two years ago, I bought a 115-unit apartment complex, and that required no cash at closing. I actually walked out of closing with a check in hand. Let's talk about that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was actually, it was a HUD project. I put it under contract for just a hair over $2.4 million for 115 units. I borrowed 75% from the bank, just conventional financing, and then I secured a note from the seller for 500000 I did a similar type of arrangement that I did on my first deal where I went to the seller and I said, listen, this property's got a lot of deferred maintenance. Your lender has decided a certain amount that you're expected to put aside every month into a reserve to maintain this property. I'd like a credit at closing equivalent to the balance of your reserve replacement account. And I actually, at the time, I didn't know how much was in there, but I knew that they had a HUD loan and I knew that the requirements were pretty strict and that they had had that loan for more than 20 years. And I was very confident that there would be at least 40000 but there could be significantly more in that account. The seller actually didn't object to that at all. I think they were very focused on the top-line price that they were looking for, and there ended up being $140,000 in that reserve account that I got as a credit at closing. Mm. So between the seller financing, taking a second position with the 500000 I got another 140000 from the reserve, reserve account, account, and I ended up walking out of closing with a check. And the other thing I did on that deal that I try very hard to do with all my deals I try to schedule my closing early in the month. So by doing that, you're going to collect your prorated rent at closing. By scheduling this closing in the first week of the month, I got a check at closing for $80,000 in rent. That was the rent that had been collected for that month, most of which had been paid by HUD on the first of the month. And I was able to take that $80,000 and immediately put it in, into my operating account so that I could begin paying the expenses for that property right out of the gate without having to take any cash out of pocket. I'm noticing a trend with uh, asking for a credit at closing of the reserve replacement account. I think those are the only two deals I've done that. So oh. <laughs> um, we, just, we, we happen to focus in on that. But when I find a property with deferred maintenance, I do ask for some type of credit. The reserve replacement account works best on big deals because it tends to be national lenders that require those reserve accounts and it tends to be big sellers and they are not as concerned about those types of things. But even if I buy a smaller property, if it's not been well maintained, I will ask for a credit at closing. A lot of times I'll put in my contract that I'm accepting the property as is and in exchange I ask for a specific dollar amount for deferred maintenance. And so I might say on a $200,000 property, I might say at closing, sellers to provide a $10,000 credit toward deferred maintenance and buyer agrees to accept the property as is. When mm -hmm. I do that, I still have my contingency where I can go through, do a thorough inspection, make sure I'm comfortable with everything, and I've got that contingency period. I could always change my mind and say, hey, I found something worse than what I expected. I'm going to back out. But most of the time, when I do that initial walkthrough, I pay close attention, bring somebody with me to look at the mechanicals, and I feel pretty confident. I know what I'm getting myself into. I don't like to retrade, which is going back afterward to ask for money, so I'd rather just say right up front, I'm expecting some things to go wrong. My price is based on that. I can ask for a credit for that, and unless my credit is just 
too crazy, a lot of times the banks don't mind, especially even the larger banks. If you keep that credit at 3% or less, they're usually okay with that. And for smaller banks, you can go substantially higher and they won't change the selling price. If you go with a very large, like a national lender, and you ask for something crazy like a 10% credit at closing, they might deduct that from the sale price when they calculate what they're willing to lend you. I love these techniques and I love these approaches that you take. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? What I try to tell people, uh, and this is the real focus of my book that I just authored, uh, Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate, is think big, don't be deterred. You can always find a way. And I think people are intimidated by the larger properties, but they really shouldn't be because the bigger you go, the more flexibility there is in how you can finance it. There's a lot more opportunity that opens up to you. And any of your listeners who are out there who maybe have smaller properties, maybe even it's just renting a single family home or a duplex, don't be intimidated by those bigger properties. You probably already have the skills and the knowledge to step in and do a 12 unit or do a 30 unit property. I actually came across your book on Amazon before we met on this call and I thought that was a very cool title. I didn't know I was actually going to be interviewing you. I came across it yesterday. I didn't know I was going to be interviewing you today. It's pretty cool. I'm going to buy it. I'm on the page right now on Amazon. I'm going to, I'm going to click buy right now. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here, February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out, besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you. Move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read? You know, I've read hundreds of books on real estate, and I, I can tell you I've taken something from each and every one. I, I don't really have any single one that I feel like beginning to end hits everything but you know one that I've recommended to a lot of people that was helpful for me when I first started was the complete guide to buying and selling apartment buildings yeah. by Steve Burgess there's a lot of things that are presented in there that, that resonated with me and that I embraced there's things that I do differently I think I emphasize buy and hold a lot more than he does but it's a great resource that's one of my favorite books Definitely the value-add play is what he also focuses on. Best ever personal growth experience and what would you learn from it? I'd have to go back to that first property. It's possible that in describing it, I made it sound easy, but it was really intimidating for me at the time to step in and immediately go with a large property. I took a huge risk, and even though I got a lot of stuff covered with creative financing, I still had to pool together my life savings to do it. 
and I think I had to learn on the fly, and I learned a lot. I got tested in a lot of ways, but that was probably the experience that changed my life for the better through real estate, and I got my PhD in real estate investing kind of on the job with that first property. Best ever deal you've done? I've had a lot of good deals and a lot of bad deals, and I think it depends on what you use to define best. I've got a property that I walk through in my book called The Solar Building, and I've got a sequence of stories from that property that was a 70-unit apartment property that was in great stress, a lot of criminal activity, a lot of shady stuff going on, and it was the biggest turnaround we ever did. It made a big difference, not just in the value of the property, but for the community. And for that reason, I'd say that one in terms of personal reward. In terms of financial best deal, it would be that HUD property that I told you I created, financed, walked out of closing with a check. And fast forward two years later, I sold that property and I walked away with $1.2 million profit on that deal. Did you take the capital gains taxes or did you roll that into something else? My gain on the property was just over a million dollars. I rolled that straight into a 1031 exchange, and I'm in the process of reinvesting that back into my portfolio as we speak. And then the other 200000 was operating profit that the investment threw off in the, in the two years that I held ownership. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? This is a long list. <laughs> um, you know, I've had a... Yeah, Everybody loves to hear the success stories, but I've had some ones go really bad too. Definitely not walking away with 1.2 million in a profit, you know, on all my deals, and I've had a couple go pretty bad. One of the worst was a mixed-use property that was in distress that didn't hit my normal financial criteria, but I had felt very confident that I could be eligible for a grant to help me do the work, and that grant didn't come through, and I lost a lot of money on that deal. Another distressed apartment property that I bought, I got it at foreclosure auction, wasn't able to do a thorough inspection, found all kinds of terrible things. The more I dug into it, the worse it was. It had a main apartment building with 20 units and a carriage house with eight. And by the time I got done with the 20 unit, it went so poorly, I actually felt it would be better to pay the money to tear the carriage house down rather than go through that again. So that project's done. There's now 20 units. It's mostly full, but I don't think I'm ever going to dig out of that hole on that particular property. How much did you lose on the one where the grant fell through? We put 500000 in when we bought it, but the carrying costs on that have added up. We've now put probably about $1.2 million into that project, and we have one small tenant. So not a good return and something that we're still working at. And I hope a few years from now, we'll have a better story to tell. I'm still trying to get grants. We just got awarded some grant money, but it's been a painful process. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. That's a great place to reach out to me. I put articles out there periodically. Your listeners are welcome to email me. My email address is brian at washingtonstreetproperties.com. And I'd be glad to answer any questions. If any of your listeners purchase my book and want to offer feedback or have any questions, I'd love to hear from them. Well, I am one of probably the most recent person who's purchased your book since I purchased it while we were talking. So I'm looking forward to diving into the book. I got a lot of value from our conversation. 
and as a result, it's obvious to me that I will get as much or more value from your book, and it's worth the 25 including shipping, that I just paid. And really looking forward to reading that. Thank you for spending some time with us, sharing your insights on specific projects, negotiating tactics, and approaches that you take, case studies of the first deal you did, as well as that 115-unit apartment complex where you got in with no money and you got paid at closing, right? That's right. Yeah. And then the bad stuff too, because there would be something fishy going on if there weren't some bad stuff after some of these grand slams. And thank you for sharing those as well. And really grateful that you spent some time with us. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks again. And I really appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Love your show. And it's really been a privilege to be here. Thank you. Best ever listeners. It is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.